As a business and leadership mentor, wife, and mom, I know that building a legacy business as a high-performing female entrepreneur can be overwhelming when you play many demanding roles in your life. But you know what? It doesn't have to be that way. You can be a powerful, high performer in your career, plus enjoy a fulfilling marriage and be a great mom all at the same time. Join me and my guests every week to get the inside scoop on what it really looks like to build a high growth business while living a life truly aligned with your family and personal values. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. I have the incredible Sarah Walbuser. She is all things legal. And I'm so excited about this conversation because I certainly am not an expert in all the legal stuff that goes on with having a business. And there's a lot of buzz going around, in the, especially in the coaching industry these days, around contracts and why do we even have contracts? Um, I was telling Sarah that my husband and I recorded an episode quite a few weeks ago, but we were talking about contracts, physical contracts, legal contracts, spiritual contracts. And it was one of our most popular episodes we've ever done. So I know this is a really hot topic. It's often not talked about perhaps in the business coaching programs that you're in. So there's just a lot of, I don't knows flowing out there. And we're going to have Sarah set us all straight in the category of legal today. So welcome to this, this show, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you for having me excited to dive in. Yeah. So let's just do like a quick uh, debrief on your background um, before we dive in, I've got some really juicy questions for you. So fill everybody in on, on you. Tell us a little about your life too. I know you're married. I know you're a mom. So you've got a lot of things going on in your life as well as your business. Yeah, a lot of things happening. So uh, I'm the founder of Destination Legal and we empower coaches and online business owners to legally protect themselves with contracts, terms, and trademarks. And I've had Destination Legal for going on seven years now. Um, like so many of us business owners, you know, I didn't love being a lawyer at a nine to five. I had a lot of career jumps. I've always had this huge passion for travel. So about 10 years ago, I left my nine to five to go start one of these online businesses. I'm using the air quotes there. Um, because I, I saw other people doing it and I was like, wow, traveling, living in Bali with my laptop, that sounds amazing. And so it's what I started to do, not actually with a legal business, which I'll come into later. I had an e-commerce store. I was doing some digital marketing, but I was doing it for my laptop and got to live in Thailand and Vietnam and Greece and Germany and all over. And um, it was amazing. And uh, along the way, I met so many online business owners and then started to meet coaches. And I kept getting all of these legal questions. And I realized what a huge gap there was and how much people needed legal help. And so while I didn't love being an attorney, I was like, I wonder if I can reframe this in a way that makes sense and helps people. And, you know, by the time I really started DL, I had settled back in the States and I had my first experience with a life coach. I was actually, you know, joined a program to become, um, 
a certified health coach, and I've always really been interested in this industry. I quickly realized I didn't want to be a coach, but wanted to help those that were that were doing such passion-based businesses. And so I've been able to reframe it in such a way that I really love it because I will be the first to admit, I don't love sitting around talking about privacy policies all day, but I love helping other people build their businesses in a smart and protected way. So one of my registered trademarks is protect your passion. And so helping, you know, mostly women, you know, coaches and other service providers legally protect their businesses so that they grow them in a smart and protected way has become something that I can get really excited about. And yes, so I'm also, um, in the last five years, I've gotten married, had two kids, continued to grow this business. So it's definitely uh, been a busy time for sure. Yeah. So busy. I love it. I love it. I love that you've done all that travel as well. And I know you've got a trip coming up to Paris in April with friends, right? Yeah. Paris and Provence. So yes, that should be, yeah. Excited about that. That's amazing. Okay. So let's dive in. I have a feeling this is going to be super juicy. So the coaching industry, we're an unregulated industry, right? So it's already unregulated. It literally feels like the wild west still in 2023. I mean, I've been in this industry since 2011, 2012-ish. And I would hear back then that like the 2000s were the wild, wild west. I don't think it's changed at all. And it's like, when you think about an industry being unregulated, you know, I've, I've been noticing, and, and it's more of a thought that I've had in my mind. It's almost as if the client is not really protected, but also those of us who are business owners, what's really out there protecting us, except our contracts. And maybe if you've got insurance and, you know, part of the buzz going around in this, in the industry right now is there's a lot of, I think, blaming coming from both ends of the spectrum. We've got business owners and coaches who are blaming the client for not showing up, taking ownership, taking responsibility, doing the work to actually get the result that was promised. Then we've got a lot of clients who are casting blame on the business owner saying, you sold me into something you should not have sold me into because now that I'm in here, I don't meet XYZ criteria to even be successful and get results. Therefore, give me my money back. Or therefore, release me from your program and release me from the payments that I still owe. Um, So there's that that we're seeing. We're seeing, I mean, I've gotten these types of emails numerous times. I no longer feel energetically aligned. So I'm complete with your program. Please cancel my payments moving forward. And any variation of that type of a sentence, God told me this program isn't for me anymore. I've changed my business, so I don't need this anymore. But it's basically like, I'm out, uh, cancel my payment. If you don't, I will. And But yet they signed a cut. We're in a legal agreement. We're in a contract. And so then the question becomes, and I've been asked this numerous times, and I don't actually know how to answer it, Sarah. So I'm going to put you on the spot. (laughs) I've had clients ask me and peers ask me, we've had some just conversations. What's the point in having a contract if we're we're just going to let anybody out of the contract for any reason that they may have? What's the point in having a contract? So let's just dive in on this topic of contracts and this really hot topic in the industry right now. 
Yeah, absolutely. So much to unpack there. You know, it is the wild, wild west. It is unregulated at the moment. Who knows if that's going to change? And so because it's unregulated, it means that we're relying on people, we're relying on integrity, we're relying on individuals, which can be messy, right? So I do think one issue that you, you know, touched on is this whole idea around energetics. And I, you know, I'm going to sign up for your program, be in your energy, and all of a sudden my life will transform, right? I think people are starting to pull back the curtain on that a little bit, which is great um, because, you know, that's one way to go. But I know a, a lot of us that focus on strategy and actual business principles don't necessarily um, agree with that all the way. But, you know, stepping back, contracts at their core are meant to protect both parties, right? They're meant to protect the business owner and the client. They, you know, are safety nets should anything go wrong. They are, um, you know, help provide expectations and boundaries on both sides. So there's a lot of great things in them, right? What's included in your program? How many sessions? What if somebody's late? What is your payment and refund policy? Intellectual property protection. Disclaimers should something go wrong. Um, a lot, you know, a lot of this is meant to protect the business owner. I think something that is happening is that people aren't really enforcing the contracts. And so they're losing their power in this industry, right? So if you go and buy a car and sign a contract, obviously, and just stop making your payments, what happens, right? There's a repercussion. Your car, come, you get it gets repossessed, right? You lose it. So I think one of the issues is that a lot of coaches and other business owners aren't taking the steps to actually enforce the contract, which you can do, and I will talk about that. Um, so then it, they're kind of losing their power and people don't have respect for them. But the truth of the matter is, is these are, assuming they're drafted by an attorney and actually have the clauses that they need to have, right? If someone's piecing together a contract or copying it from someone else, you have no idea if that actually is a valid contract or not. So assuming you have one drafted by an attorney for your industry, right? For you as a coach, for you as a service provider, and you're not like taking some kind of, you know, real estate contract and trying to put it for online business it can be enforced. And so then the question becomes, do you want to spend the time, money, and energy to actually enforce it, right? So, you know, as you said, there are coaches that are running businesses. All of a sudden, you yourself, like, are getting emails that someone is just changing their mind, okay? So if someone came to me in that situation, I would say, well, what does your contract say? Assuming you have a no refund policy, assuming there's language in there, such as you're responsible for payments, even if you decide to leave the program. Um, so in that scenario, there's really three different actions that you can take. One is respond. Like, I get that you're no longer interested in the program. You know, is there any way I can help you through that? Um, if payments are an issue, potentially we can work out some kind of payment plan. You know, try to work with them a little bit to see, because often if payments are just overwhelming, offering to split them up over, you know, months is is all that's needed. Um, 
And, you know, just then kind of a a reminder of here's the contract you signed. Like, should you decide not to participate moving forward, you're still responsible for these payments under our contract. You know, that may or may not work. So then, you know, kind of the next step would be to send a demand letter. So this is more strongly worded. It can be sent by an attorney. It doesn't necessarily have to be. But it's like, you're responsible for these payments. Here's the contract. If you don't pay by X date, like we're going to take further legal action. And so then, you know, the real legal steps that you can take, one is you can send them to collections, which you can do anywhere in the world, and they'll take a percent of the money that you're collecting. Um, and then the other is you can bring a claim against them either in small claims court or go through arbitration or mediation for breach of contract, because by not paying, they actually are breaching the contract. Um, and then, you know, someone decides and, and you collect on payment that way. Now, those steps both take, again, time, money, and energy. So you as the business owner have to think about what is this worth to me? Is this a $129 payment or is this a $5,000 payment, right? And, you know, again, that's a decision that each person is going to have to make. The other way I think to safeguard yourself as a business owner from the beginning is to really set out the expectations. So, you know, this is not, this is not a, an area where you should just be like, I'm going to just going to send you a PayPal link or just DM me for the link. Like any program you're selling, anytime you're collecting money, you want real terms of purchase. You want a real contract that they are agreeing to that is outlining exactly what you're delivering and what they can expect. And so having those clear expectations from the beginning can help in those scenarios when someone comes and it's like, I didn't get what I expected, you know, and then you can refer to the contract and be like, well, here's what I promised to deliver you. Here's what I have been delivering you. And of course, there are no guarantees or promises, right? When you're in the online space, when you're a coach, a service provider, yes, you want your clients to achieve certain results, but certainly none of this is ever guaranteed. And it should say that in the contract, right? You're coaching, it's information, it's education. I'm giving you tools, but there, there's never a guarantee for a specific result. Yeah, it's almost as if people who are buying programs, you know, I, I don't know what it, I don't know what it is, Sarah. Maybe you have some answers. I don't know if it's that people have seen so many marketing messages that are just over-promising in the marketing message that in their mind, they truly do believe that the marketing message is the guarantee or the promise and that anybody and everybody should expect that like immediately inside of a program. I don't know if that's the issue. You know, I have heard some people say that in the sales conversation, some promises were made and then not delivered on in the actual program. I think sometimes that happens when we have salespeople working for us because the salesperson is getting paid on commission. So they want to try to make as many sales as possible. So I could see that happening, but it's, you know, I, I'm, I have had a hard time like wrapping my mind around uh, when an adult enters into a program and they know they're going to have to do the work to get the results. Like, I don't understand where it's coming from within someone where they truly do believe they deserve to either get a refund, to be released from the program. But then I think this is where it gets me. Where it gets me is the client then makes you feel like you're in the wrong because you are upholding what was put and what was signed in the contract. 
Like that's the part that I don't get. There's almost this because we're in the coaching industry and because it's more spiritual or because it's more woo woo or whatever you want to say that if people just want to be released because it's using your words, no longer an energetic alignment, we should just let them go and ignore the fact that there's a legal contract in place and not run our businesses like a real business. There's, there's just, there's a, there's a lot of argument against those two sides in the space right now. Do you see like, is there a solution to that? Like, what is the solution? Are we just always going to be butting heads about it? I mean, I think that's a great question. You know, to to touch on something you mentioned, um, and this happened recently, someone came to me because they were having an issue with someone that they hired, a coach, and apparently they'd been having different conversations in the sales cycle than what was included in the contract. And so that's something you really need to be careful about too. Like we as clients also need to be good consumers, right? So read your contract. Don't just, you know, assume that what you see on social media or see other clients getting is going to be your result. And, you know, I think this, I think the industry is starting to weed out people that either, you know, don't have integrity, meaning they are walking away from contracts. Like they're, you know, maybe I'm wrong here, but like they're, you're going to have a hard time being successful if you're not honoring contracts because, you know, that also sends out, I'm, I'm not super woo woo, but maybe a little bit, but like what kind of karma are you sending out there? Like if you aren't honoring contracts, how can you expect people to honor them with you. And, you know, that's, that's something I think, um, I think there could eventually be some type of regulation. I do think people are beginning to question more and more the integrity of people that they're hiring and aren't just going to be throwing money at whoever because they like their Instagram grid. And, you know, I think having contracts that are easy to understand, that are simple and that are really just here to protect everyone, it's, it's my hope that they will just become commonplace, of course. And I think if someone is, you know, your contract is a place to start as the business owner. If someone comes to you and they have a real issue or a crisis or, you know, some sort of real financial problem, like you can work with them. You can let them out of the contract. You can offer a refund, but that's your choice. You don't have to, right? Your contract is a starting point, you as the coach to get to decide if you want to enforce it or not. So, um, you know, I unfortunately don't have a, an answer for that. I think that it's all evolving. You know, technology and space always evolves faster than the law. So any type of regulation or things like that, I think are, you know, many years down the pipeline, especially for such a big and growing industry. I'm sure, you know, governments and states are like, how do we even begin to to think about this? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think looking for, um, you know, just really vetting who you're hiring. And then you as the coach also, you know, obviously you can't necessarily do this for larger programs or courses or memberships, but if you're signing someone on for a year-long commitment, like, you know, make sure they're a good fit, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So let's say someone is, you know, they're in your program or they're working with you in some way. Contract says what it says, what you're delivering. And then a few months in, both parties realize maybe this wasn't the best fit. 
are contracts negotiable? Can we negotiate them? Can we change them like midway through so that we don't have to issue a refund so that the client doesn't leave and you never see that money? That's something I have done numerous times where the client has gotten to, you know, I don't know, six months in, you know, I used to have a program where I was helping people launch and fill group coaching programs. And oftentimes people get into that and they don't realize how hard it really is and how complex group programs actually are. Then they decide they don't want to do group programs. They literally don't want to do them at all. And they want to change their whole business model. So it may not make sense for them to be in the program anymore. And I've actually shifted how I work with that person because I'd still have something to offer them. We've just negotiated that and drawn up a new contract or amended the contract that we have. I think that more business owners should be thinking in that way versus just letting people out or fighting to keep them in the thing, but you could actually offer them another service in a different way and both people are happy. So will you talk a little bit about contracts are negotiable and and are they? Yeah, absolutely. And you said the key word there, which was you amended the contract. And so you wouldn't necessarily need to draw up a new one. You have, you know, and we have a template for this. It's a contract amendment where you're doing exactly that. So, you know, basically you would come together and say, instead of these terms, A, B, and C, now we're going to do D, E, and F, but everything else is still stands. So like your disclaimers still stand, your IP clause still stands, your jurisdiction still stands. You're just updating potentially what you're delivering, how you're delivering it and price if you need to. And so absolutely you can have a contract amendment, make sure everything is in writing, um, but that's absolutely valid. Something else to think about is if you are you know, wanting to renegotiate, something I have seen some coaches do and I've helped with is offer almost like a buyout or a settlement that says, you know, I owe 5k, I want nothing more to do with you, but I don't want to go to court. And I know you don't want to take me to court. So like, let's just settle on 2,500 and we'll both call it a day and I'll pay you out over the next five months or whatever. And so that is something that I have seen happen as well you know, when coaches potentially don't want to go through a big legal battle, but still want some of the income that was promised in the contract. Um, But yes, absolutely. That is something. And that's a great thing to do. I think, you know, maybe this person wasn't right for the mastermind, but I'm going to give them, you know, they'll pay for six months in the membership or, or something like that. Yeah. Okay. So the whole buyout idea, I, I, I had a coach one time who taught us that that was an option. Do you have to have that in the original contract that they signed that if they want to be released from the contract, they have to do like a 50% buyout? Or is that just something you could just say to them in that moment, okay, if you want to get out and we don't want to escalate this, pay me 50%. Does that actually need to have been in the contract to begin with? So it's tricky because that is almost like an amendment that you can add on. So it doesn't necessarily have to be in there from the beginning, but the person, they can really push back then and say, well, this buyout clause wasn't in the contract. So, you know, I don't, I'm not going to do it. And, and it's almost like playing chicken. So they're like, if, if I didn't see the buyout clause as part of the original, then I'm just going to stop paying, like come after me if you want. So a lot of this is like, who's willing to, you know, invest in the time and energy and all of this stuff. So I, um, last year had a client who hadn't included it in the contract, 
wanted to implement it. And then the, the client, you know, their dad was an attorney or something, and they came back with a bunch of like, it wasn't in the contract, so it's not an option, and I'm not going to do it. And so then they ended up having to do other things. Um, so that's a great, you know, that's a gray area. It doesn't necessarily have to be in there, but if it's not, it could be harder to challenge. But then I know coaches don't necessarily want to put it in there because you don't want to even give your client the idea that that's an option. Yeah. So that's one of those things that it's probably more of like scenario, case by case basis. Yeah. yeah. So another a question I've gotten over the years when a client, okay, this is typically, this is typical. This is not everybody. So I can't say this generally, but typically when a client wants to be released from a program, they will send an email. And so they just send an email to the business owner and they say whatever they say, which is basically like, here's the 42 reasons why I don't think I'm a good fit anymore. And here's the 88 things that you did that made me feel bad about myself. So I'm going to exit your program. I can no longer pay for it, blah, 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 blah. And then the business owner corresponds back with them via email trying to, I mean, obviously you want to get onto a phone call with the person. You want to have an actual conversation and not just handle it via email. And I've seen many instances where the client refuses to get on a call with the actual service provider to have a a civil discussion about it. And they will say things like, I don't have time. I've got this, that, and the other going on. I refuse to get on a call with you. I'm demanding that this is what you do, which is basically what I'm asking. So how does the business owner handle it if they're doing all they can do, which is keep responding and continue suggesting, let's get on a conversation to figure this out. If the client refuses, what, how do you handle that? Yeah. So I think it's at, at that point, you as a business owner need to evaluate what, what is this worth to you? And so if it's, if you want to pursue it, then some of those legal options are the next steps that I would take if they're not engaging. Right. And so then that would potentially be sending a demand letter, filing a claim, going to collections, because if someone isn't going to interact, then there's not much that you can do. Right. Okay. If, you know, if they're not there, they're not there. So in those instances, I would, you know, say, how much is this worth my time, energy and expense to, to go after this? Because at that point, you know, they're probably not going to engage in any kind of meaningful conversation that would have them be in a different program or, you know, work out some kind of payment plan. And so at that point, you're really just trying to, get some of the money owed to you. And so yeah. some of those more like legal steps are the ones that are going to have the better results. Okay. Um. So years ago, uh, I worked for a, a really large scale coaching company. We had hundreds and hundreds of clients a year, if not thousands and, you know, making millions of dollars a year. Oftentimes when you get to that level, like it's not uncommon that somebody sues you or legal stuff is happening. I mean, you see that in like every industry. Once you get to a certain point, like everybody wants to sue you, seems like. And I remember we were on retainer with this like big wig lawyer in Beverly Hills. And I think there was like, we were paying like a certain amount of money every month just to be able to like have access to them. And then once you got access to them, you're then paying per hour on top of the retainer amount. So I, there was a certain time period where some things were going on and I was actually corresponding quite a bit with this legal team in Beverly Hills. And I remember one thing that the guy said to me, he was like, because there came a point where 
I was answering a lot of emails from clients who were disgruntled about something. And then he was like, stop answering them. And I, from now on, I just want you to send them to us so that they correspond with us. And one of the things that he said to me was be very conscious and careful about anything that you're putting in writing. Right. So I would love to hear you speak about, you know, I'm, I'm not a lawyer and 99.9999999% of other business owners and coaches do not have any kind of legal background. Let's say there's contracts in place, but then you're getting into some sort of back and forth over all this stuff that we're talking about, whether it's in Facebook Messenger or email, or you're even having com- verbal conversations with people. And sometimes what I have, I think I'm maybe I've done this once or twice, but I've certainly seen clients do this where they'll promise something outside of what was in the contract just to keep the client there because you know you're still going to get the money. Are you legally bound to that? So I guess the question is anything you're saying verbally or saying in a an email or a Facebook message, private message that is outside what was signed in the contract, if something got taken to court, are you legally bound to what you said verbally or in those other areas outside of the contract if it's different? So you definitely could be, and that's up for the court to decide or the mediator or arbitrator, but you definitely could be. And so enforcing an oral contract or an, an other written agreement, all of those emails, Facebook messengers would be evidence to support one side or the other. So courts are going to look at different things like what was the intent behind this? You know, was it so far outside the contract that it would be unreasonable to think that it's included or, you know, was the coach really clear about adding this on? So, you know, it, it depends. It definitely could be. So you want to be careful about anything that you're putting in writing. Recently I was, um, helping someone through a legal issue and she, she was having an issue with someone she hired. And all of a sudden that coach started deleting all their Voxer messages. And so, you know, you want to also be careful if, if always save everything, right. And if there's at the first instance of a red flag, like screenshot and, you know, get anything that you could need in the future and to use as evidence. So, the answer to that is yes, it can be, but mm-hmm. it, that that would be for a third party to decide if it would if it should or shouldn't be included. Yeah. Um, I would just always be careful about what you're including. If you are someone that's promising something in writing, then plan on delivering it, right? Yeah. Because um, that could that could come back to bite you. Yeah, I've I've always been very conscious about what I'm saying in emails yeah. to, back to clients. Because, you know, the other thing that I think we're all human and oftentimes I see a lot of business owners taking it personally and getting very, very triggered and heated over certain situations. And I mean, it's very easy. Again, we're all very human. It's very easy to say not nice things back to people in writing. And to me, that's a really big no, no. 
It, you have to be really careful. So to bring up another scenario, a couple months ago, someone reached out to me. As you can imagine, I get so many people reaching out with all these different issues and scenarios. Someone reached out because they were a coach and they had a client who wanted out of the, the program, like totally changed their tune and was threatening to release like Voxer messages out into the internet. And for whatever reason, this coach didn't want that to happen. I guess maybe she had was talking about some other people in the industry. And so, yes, you need to be really careful because know that whatever you're putting out there, you know, it could be fine right now, but in six months, the situation could be different. And that person could take to the wild, wild west and put things out there that you don't want to. So I'm with you. Like, if you need to write a heated email, like write it and just keep it in draft form, right? Like, you know, don't necessarily want to air your laundry like that. Um, and there can be repercussions. So recently, um, one of my mentors actually won a case for defamation because someone had, you know, said things on Facebook last year that just were not true at all. And my mentor had all this evidence and went through the court system and won, you know, like a $60,000 judgment or I mean, she was in the UK, so it was pounds or whatever. But um, it showed that like courts are taking what's happening on the internet seriously. Okay. So you're already kind of answering what I had another question around. I think a lot, I think one of the fears of a business owner, not letting a client out of a contract or not issuing, issuing a refund, even if, you know, they're abiding by the contract, just like we're talking about. I think the fear is that client is going to go badmouth them to other people privately, or they're going to go slander your name and drag it through the mud publicly because now, I mean, social media is at our fingertips. And that's a really big fear for a lot of business owners. So they just like let people out of the contracts because they don't want to have to deal with that. So based on what you're saying, if you are a business owner who does stick to your guns and you stick to the contract and you are delivering exactly what you promised there, and then that particular client does go and talk about you, let's say publicly, um, and uses your name on social media, what do you do with that? And I would say, again, I'm of the, I don't like to handle stuff. Because meaning I wouldn't want to go reach out to that person and get into a back and forth conversation or back and forth email or, or direct message. Again, because of what we were talking about earlier, there's a paper trail there. And I just would rather somebody who actually knows proper legal language to handle yeah. that. So are you protected? I guess my question is, is there protection against that if a client is mad at you because they don't let you out of the contract and then goes and talks about you what do what are the best steps for us to take in the event that that happens to us yeah so this there is a clause called a non-disparagement clause which should be in your contract, in your contract. Yep. It's not required. It's optional most people choose to include it and what it basically says is if one of us is, you know, mad at the other or there's an issue that comes up, we agree not to badmouth each other on the internet and to actually go through arbitration, mediation, whatever, you know, dispute resolution is outlined in the contract and that, you know, we agree mutually to do this. So then if somebody does badmouth you, now this doesn't mean they can't leave an honest bad review. Like if you didn't deliver or if there was, you know, 
something out of integrity or if there was a real issue, they can still leave a bad review. They just can't, you know, say things that aren't true and just like badmouth you for no reason, start talking about your cat and your mother and all of that stuff. And so if they do, you can actually go to the social media platform with the contract, show them the non-disparagement clause, and they will remove it. Like I've had instances where this has happened, and you can say this person is disparaging and, you know, have it removed. Or, you know, you can take the next step, which is what my mentor did, and you can actually bring a claim for defamation, um, which is, you know, saying or writing things that are blatantly false, and then there will be action taken. So the fact that she took that step was really helpful to all of us in the industry, because it's showing that courts are taking it seriously. And so, you know, you shouldn't just put anything out there and think there won't be any repercussions. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, another question that I have, um, many of us are offering different types of services under the same umbrella company, right? Like consulting services, coaching services, group coaching programs, self-study courses, done-for-you services, memberships. They're all a little different. Are do you, Are there different contracts for those different types of services? I know we have contracts, we have terms of agreement, we have terms of service. I think when people are buying courses, group programs, masterminds, self-study memberships, you know, um, oftentimes you're not physically sending them a separate contract to read and then sign through something like hello sign or DocuSign. You're on the checkout page and the checkout page doesn't let you submit your credit card information until you click the little box that says, I have read the terms of service or terms of agreement. Now, I bet less than 1% of people even read that. And then when they come back and they're like, I want out of the program. And then you come and say, well, you sign the contract. I've actually seen instances where people are like, I never signed a contract. It's like, well, you clicked a box that said you did because you couldn't have actually paid for this unless you did click that box. So uh, are there different types of contracts for the different types of services? Because I think a lot of people don't know that and they could actually get themselves into a little bit of trouble. Yeah, that's a great question. And the answer is yes. So if you're working one-on-one or, you know, it's a small year-long mastermind, a higher ticket item, you know, 5, 10, 20, 30, 40K, you want a one-on-one signed contract. You want it to be, you know, have that signature, you know, a lot of people don't read these things. And so having to sign, there's a stronger chance that they might at least glance through it. Um, and that's what you want to use for one-on-one. And then, as you said, for online courses, memberships, group programs, um, you will use what's called terms of purchase or terms of agreement, terms of use. They all mean the same thing. It, that doesn't matter the exact language. They are terms that can be agreed to electronically. And yes, that check the box courts have held that that is just as strong and legal as if you had signed it. So as long as that check the box is right at checkout, the terms can't be in the footer, they can't be hidden somewhere. As long as it's by the checkout button, by purchasing, you're agreeing to our terms of use, terms of purchase, then you are legally bound to that. So for sure, um, that is legit and it's good because it wouldn't make sense to have a thousand people sign a one-on-one for a $69 course, but you still want to protect that, right? You want to protect, you know, um, 
all of your digital products and group programs and memberships. You want to outline the terms of them. And so, you know, one thing that's great about templates is like you can get a terms of purchase template and then just have one for each of your programs. So you have one for your signature course, you have one for your membership because they will have slightly different things included, right? Your online course might be lifetime access. Your membership obviously is going to have a different cancellation policy than your group program. And so, you know, you like a business owner should have a folder and you might have four or five different terms of purchase, but those are things that can be managed by your team. Just making sure they get inputted on the right checkout page by clicking here, you're agreeing to our terms. Yeah. Yeah. I know when I um, added consulting into what I do, I had to learn really quickly how important it was for me to be so detailed and specific on my statement of work, which I include my statement of work inside of my contract. Yeah. And for most of my consulting clients, not all, but most, we've actually done two to three, if not four, back and forths just to get more granular and more specific and more specific on the statement of work. Because, you know, if not, you know, if I'm sending out a contract and my statement of work isn't super detailed and specific, I'm not, I'm not saying they're trying to take advantage of me, but boundaries get crossed. You end up delivering so much more work than what you're actually getting paid for. Um, But that process uh, at that time, like really forced me to get just insanely specific on exactly what I was delivering and the timeline in which it was being delivered in um, has really saved me a few times too, because then you can go back and say like, Hey, here's, yeah, I'm I'm tapping out for the month because we're coming close here. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, consultants, other types of service providers, copywriters, like you want to be as specific as you can, because when those relationships go wrong, it's usually because of a miscommunication and expectations and delivery and boundaries. And I know with building a team, not having, you know, what the deliverables are can be a big issue. So for sure, for those types of contracts, you want to make sure to be as specific as possible. And then, you know, things as your business grows, you're going to need contracts for different things. Once you, you know, if you're hosting a retreat, like that's a whole different ball game, right? You're doing something in person. Your liability is obviously way more than just working online. If you have an affiliate program, if you're doing a partnership, like all of these things. And, you know, one of the things that you mentioned, and I, I don't think we've reiterated enough, is that I think one of the issues in the, in the online industry is just people not treating their business like a business. It should be treated that way from the beginning, right? So from your first client, I always say there's only two things you need to start your business. You don't need a website. You don't need an email list. Like what you need is a contract and a way to get paid. Like that's it, right? And so I think um, people don't want to deal with bookkeeping and accounting and legal, all of these things that are so foundational to building a strong business that's built to last, you know, just starts with some of these things. Yeah. Okay. I have one last question. Uh, My last question is this. Oftentimes, many of us have have taken programs and then three months in or six months in or however long into the program, the business owner decides they want to change what they're delivering in the program. That is pretty common. I mean, I've seen that happen often. In fact, I joined a program. This was over a year ago. I joined a program. It was a mastermind level program. 
but I also got access to the Facebook group and the program that was like one step lower to the one I had purchased. And when I when I purchased the program and stepped into that Facebook group, I always like to kind of scroll through the Facebook group just to see what types of conversations had been going on for the last couple of months in there. And sometimes you can like find some value and connect with people. And I noticed very quickly that there were a lot of very angry people who had left some very angry posts on that newsfeed. And what they were angry about is whatever they had purchased, the business owner had changed a lot of it. Now, she wasn't necessarily taking things out and taking it away and stripping it down. She was just changing the format of it, the delivery of it, but it created this like insane upheaval. And a lot of those people wanted out. So for a coach who's got, let's just say like a group coaching program or mastermind, and in the contract, it states, this is what I'm delivering. This is a timeframe I'm delivering it in. And this is the format in which I'm delivering. So this is what you're purchasing. But then six months later, you realize maybe there's a better way to do it. Maybe there's something you want to add. Maybe there's something you want to change. Legally, as a business owner and a service provider, can you do that? Number one. And number two, do you need to do anything in a contract or legally in the event that you do want to change something midway? Yeah. So, you know, this, there is a contract provision. All of mine include this that say, should the business owner want to add or change things in the program? That's their right. So just adding that one line of flexibility um, can really save you in that instance. Now, people might still get upset and all of that stuff, but if you have that clause in there that here's what's included, but I reserve the right to change things up if I want, that's kind of like the legal clause that needs to be in there. Um, I would just think about it, you know, as with any decision, why am I doing this? What are my people going to think? Am I prepared for some backlash? Is this better? Is this worse? And, you know, just talk to your people. Tell them. I, I just feel like the more honest you can be with your people. You know, I have been in many, many coaching programs as well and worked with. And I think, you know, we're all people here. We're Most of us are not trying to take advantage of other people's. Now, of course, that does exist. But I just think if you're operating in integrity and you're honest with your people, that people are going to be understandable, understanding. And then, of course, like if you have that language in the contract, you know, you're giving yourself a little bit of wiggle room there. Yeah. Awesome. 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 Well, Sarah, everybody needs a lawyer and everybody needs to be protected legally in their business. So tell us what you have for offer. Uh, how can people get in touch with you, your website? Can people just go to your website, buy templates? Can they actually hire you so they can have access to you and email you and talk to you and ask you questions when they want to about what's going on in their business? Give us all the details. Yeah, absolutely. So you can find um, out more at destinationlegal.com. We have a template shop that has downloadable, you know, customizable with directions, contracts for everything from, you know, everything we've talked about. So your one-on-one contracts for coaches, health coaches, service providers, your terms of purchase, retreat contracts, affiliate contracts, everything for your website. And, you know, 
the feedback, you know, of course, I think they're easy, but everyone thinks that they're easy to understand and really appreciates being able to download something and have it implemented in their business in 20 minutes. And then in addition to that, if you're a bit further along and thinking about IP protection, we do have a full service trademark package. We didn't really get into that a lot today, but there's a lot of information on the website. I have a blog um, that talks about a lot of these issues. And then, you know, I don't, I don't take on a ton of kind of one-on-one, -on -one, but if you have questions, I'm always happy to answer. And if I can't or won't help you, I can at least point you in the right direction. Awesome. Well, we'll have you back for part two and talk about trademarking. <laughs> okay. That sounds we'll, good. We'll do that and in then, a couple of months. Because we, okay, right. we, we didn't touch on that at all, but that's on that topic too these days. It certainly is. And then you can find me on Instagram at Destination Legal, where I talk legal tips and tricks and you see some baby pictures and some travel pictures and all that kind of stuff too. Awesome. Awesome. Well, part one, we'll just call it legal contracts and we'll have you back and do part two on trademarks. How about that? Okay. That sounds great. Awesome. Well, this was so informative and I imagine that it gave some people peace of mind as well. I think people have like just a lot of not peace of mind around how to handle this, especially when, you know, I think the biggest thing is just business owners being caught off guard and caught by surprise when clients are just like, I'm out because often it is just a very simple email. Like I've just changed my mind or I've just decided I'm out. And then people don't know how to navigate that that conversation or that scenario. And I think a lot of people don't know who's in the right and who's in the wrong, and we don't know what to do. So this shed a lot of, a lot of light on that, and I hope gave some peace of mind for people. So thank you so much for sharing with us today. You're welcome. Thank you so much for tuning into the Built to Last show. If you're loving the show and have gotten any value out of it for your business and life, would you mind doing two things? Subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode and leave us a review. Our listener reviews helps us get more visibility and reach more people just like you. Help us make a difference for more entrepreneurs by helping them grow their businesses in a way that aligns with their life, family, and core values. Thank you so much for being part of our community and tuning into the show each week.